be here with you. We had such a great day yesterday. What a privilege for Lois and I to be here uh, in this um, area. I think some of you call it the Cotswolds, and um, uh, or some of you, <laughs> I don't know quite where the Cotswolds begins or ends, but anyway, this lovely area around here. And uh, what a, well, how exciting to be part of a, a movement, really, of churches that want to work together. Isn't there something in the scripture about the Lord commanding the blessing for those sort of people? And so this is a very, very exciting uh, project going on here and uh, feel very envious as what you're experiencing and what God's going to do um, over the, the next uh, few years. How many of you here were here yesterday for the, um, oh, well done for coming back, fantastic. There was two elderly people in their 90s and they both, they, they'd, <laughs> they'd fallen in love with one another and they went out for a walk on one Saturday afternoon and as they went down the high street they came to a chemist shop and they went into the chemist shop and uh, the elder man said to the chemist, are you the owner of this shop? And he said, yes, I am. So the man said, we're going to get married. Do you sell heart medication? And he said, yes, I do. He said, do you sell medication for circulation? He said, yes, all kinds. He said, do you sell medication for rheumatism and scoliosis? Yes. How about Viagra? Yes. Do you have mem uh, medicine for memory problems, arthritis and jaundice? Yes, we have a large variety. What about vitamin pills, sleeping pills, antidotes for Parkinson's disease? Yes, we've got those too. Do you sell wheelchairs and walkers, all speeds and sizes? Why do you ask? Is there something we can help you with? The man turned to the pharmacist and said, yes, we'd like to nominate you as our wedding list shop. end of a series of old people jokes. Oh, there's one other I'll tell you. It's a <laughs> lovely couple who went to a wedding, and they, you probably heard this story, went, came back from the wedding, and they were sitting on the settee, and just thinking about the glorious wedding they'd been to, and she said to her husband, as he sat next to her on the settee, you know, there was a day uh, years ago when uh, we sat together, you used to put your arm around me and hold me close, so he put his arm around rather reluctantly and held her close, and she said, you know, there was a day uh, uh, way back where you'd look into my eyes and uh, just look lovingly at me. And so he turned to her and tried to look lovingly at her again. And then she said, you know, there was a day when you used to bend over towards me and you'd nibble my ear. And he got up from the sofa and began to walk out the room. And she said, I'm really sorry, have I offended you? He said, no, I'm going to get my teeth. <laughs> Those stories have nothing whatsoever to do with what we're talking about. So I apologize for that, except that they're fun, aren't they? It's funny, I don't know what it is about me. I'm attracting stories about old age. And um, I don't know why that is. I'm not sure at all. Just to recap a little bit about yesterday, because at the beginning of the day yesterday, we were talking about following Jesus, reminding ourselves that really it is better to call ourselves or think of ourselves as followers of Jesus opposed to Christian. The problem with Christian is we think of Christian as something, a, a person who has had their sins forgiven and is going to heaven, and the danger with that is, although that is true, is the time in between can easily be spent somehow surviving in a religious community that will allow us to keep our faith alive and keep certain vibrancy going in our, so that we're ready and uh, uh, we've endured to the end till Jesus comes. And that is such a terrible view of the Christian life. It is true we've had our sins forgiven. It's true we're going to heaven. But the middle bit is equally important, that we're to live a dynamic life of following Jesus. When we came to Christ, it wasn't just because Jesus says, I'll forgive your sins. He said, I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit, so now I'm calling you to follow me. And following Jesus is a moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, commitment of our lives to what is Jesus doing here in the earth. And then I talked, if you remember, about uh, Psalm 23 we looked at, about how when the psalmist said um, about following the shepherd, following the sheep, following the shepherd, he was talking about being led into places of watering and feeding and nurture and restoring. That when we're following Jesus supremely, what he's doing in us is not just leading us to a place, but he's leading us inwardly into change so that we become different. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are being changed by the Word and the Spirit and uh, by following after him. And then if you remember that in the next session we talked about leaving things behind because we carry baggage which weighs us down. Uh, in the B&B &B where we stayed last night, there was a delightful couple who are on a walking holiday on the Cotswold Way, uh, starting today. They look slightly overweight actually. I hope we're gonna really enjoy this trip. But anyway, they started, so that's a terrible judgment. Um, 
but they're great walkers. They've walked all over the place, so I'm sure they're good at it. Anyway, but they want one of these deals where you, you actually, all you do is take a little backpack with a water and a sandwich in, and a guy comes and carries your, takes your luggage to the next place. I mean, it's a real doddle. But what a wonderful way to do a walking holiday where you don't have to carry all your stuff. They've gone light. And I think the call on us as followers of Jesus is to travel light. Jesus will carry the stuff. Give it to him. Please don't carry it with you. All the stuff of the past, the sinfulness, the idolatry, and all of that that we talked about yesterday. Let Jesus take it. And all we need to carry in the Christian life if we're going to be effective followers of Jesus is in one hand the word and the other the spirit. And Peter says to us, you have everything you need for godliness with the word and the spirit in your heart and in your life. That's all you need. We can travel light. In the last session we just talked a little bit Oh, we were quite weary by then, I think most of us, uh, that actually to follow Jesus really means a completely radical change of life, far greater than any of us have probably even begun to estimate. Living the Christian life is like living upside down. It is a complete reversal of values and attitudes and behavior. So that out of all of that, as we take this, our lives, out into the community, people can see something in us, men and women, who have not yet made it, not perfect, but are living their lives as best they can to the beat of a different drum. So we give hope to the world because we say there is another way to live. And then lastly in this session, I want to talk a little bit more about if you're a follower of Jesus, where is he going? It's interesting, when Jesus said to the disciples, follow me, they didn't ask him the question, where are you going? I would have done, wouldn't you? You'd say, well, where are you off to? Because I don't know if I want to go where you're going. They went with Jesus because they wanted to be with him. But where was he going? And where is he going today if you're following him? Not just a change in your heart, change in your life, but he is actually going somewhere. If you look back into the New Testament, and as Jesus led the disciples, he took them primarily in two directions. There were times when he took them aside to be with him. And that's what he does with us. We're here this morning, aren't we? We're aside to be with Jesus, to worship him, to listen to his word, to have a sense of his presence amongst us. Jesus has beckoned us today, come aside and rest a while. Come and be with me. That's what it's about. But where did Jesus go the rest of the time? We don't need to be great Bible scholars to understand this. Wherever, when Jesus woke up in the morning and he started to walk, where was he going? He was going to fulfill the call on his life. And Jesus said this, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. So where did he go? He went among lost people. His whole three years of ministry, apart from the times aside with the disciples, was he was looking for lost people to bring them hope in their lives. Jesus says in Luke 4.18, you remember in the, where he was there in the synagogue, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to speak in tongues, to have goose pimples down my spine and lift my hands in worship. That's not what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me to do what? to preach good news to the poor, to set at liberty those that are bound, to open the eyes of the blind, to proclaim uh, acceptable day of the Lord. The Spirit of God has come upon me, not for myself, but for people who are trapped in sin, who are blind, who are cut off. Therefore, I must go out into the world and I must reach out to them. So therefore, what is the call to follow Jesus today? What is the call upon our lives? Where is Jesus today? Where is he going? What's he doing in the earth by his Spirit? then surely the answer is this, he is out amongst lost people. And Jesus said to his disciples this, in the same way that the Father sent me, I send you. How did the Father send Jesus? He sent the Spirit upon him that he would go out into the world and look for the lost. In the same way, in exactly the same way, as the Father sent me, I send you. All of us are sent people. We are missionary people. You know, in many churches, um, a friend of mine used to say that the definition of a missionary is someone who has a, a, piece of, a drawing pin and a piece of uh, string. I didn't know quite what he meant until he described it to me. He said, you go into many churches, you'll see there is a map at the back and on the, on the, of the world. And along one side is a whole lot of photographs of lovely people, and uh, they have a drawing pin stuck in one end and a bit of string that goes to where they are in the world. And if you've got a drawing pin and a piece of string, or two drawing pins and a piece of string, you are a missionary. Uh, you've got to go past the Isle of Wight to get your piece of string. But if you do that, you're definitely a missionary. What a travesty of understanding what missionary is, that every one of us has got the call of Jesus as a missionary in, into our lives. And if we follow him into his world, that, that's going to be part of our lives too. That's the call on our lives. 
And Jesus said at the, uh, uh, Matthew 28, he said, as you go into all the world, preach the gospel. That was the commission given to us. Make disciples. Right? That's the commission given to us. Every single one of us. That's what we're to do with our lives. Jesus is out there doing it, and he, are, he wants us to follow him out into his world. And as far as I know, he's not rescinded that. I always think last words are really important, aren't they? If you, some are quite comical, of course. There are books of last words. But people often keep the last word to the end, what they want to say that's important. Years ago, when Lois used to uh, uh, travel away to conferences or whatever, and I would stay at home for things, <clears throat> um, she'd always say that her last words to me would always be the same. I mean, she used to somewhere way along the way say, I love you, and you know, all this, and, and you know, nice things to me. And then she'd get in the car, and I'd come out into the drive, and uh, she'd wind down the window, and she would always say exactly the same thing. I mean, there was without any, no change. I knew what she was going to say. She didn't even need to say it, but I was appreciating she said it. She always said the same thing as she wound down the window. She said to me, Nick, do not forget to water the plants. That was basically, because <laughs> there was a time when our house was like Kew Gardens. And I remember one time I counted 47 different plants I, I, had, to, I had to water. And very often I, I, I did forget on occasions. We have some miracle plants in our house. Uh, I call them miracle plants because on the day before she'd come back, I'd say, oh my heavens, I haven't watered that plant. And it's, dro it's looking like a droopy thing. And I would say to God, God, if you love me at all, and if you, <laughs> if you value our marriage, I can't remember whether this is one that I should pour lots of water on or occasional water. I know she told me, but I can't remember. But you, O oh Lord, know because you created it. Now, Lord, help me. I'm going to put water on and you decide how much this plant should have. <laughs> and we have some miracle plants because God loves me and he loves our marriage. So he's done that for us. And I'm very, very grateful. But, but it, because Lois loves plants, that was important to her. But Jesus waits the last minute. He says, I want you to remember this. If, don't forget anything else. This is the commission. Don't get caught up in anything else. Don't get sidetracked, actually, by church and religion. Get caught up in this. I want you to make disciples. You don't know how long you've got. I, in the exercise we did yesterday, I gave everybody three years to make disciples. We may not have that amount of time. We may have longer. But Jesus said, I want you to make disciples. And it's not in the gathered church that we really do that. Here today, we're not really doing that. It's Monday. It's tomorrow. When we go out into the world, scattered out into the community, that God sends us out to, uh, to make disciples of Jesus and to, to reach out to them. And I'd like to um, just take an example, if I may, this morning from John's Gospel. Lois is going to read this passage to us from John chapter 4 and just bring out one or two illustrations from it. Who's watering the plants when we're both away? I don't know. <laughs> well, thankfully, we're not. Um, to, you know, yep. been away for too long. Okay. John chapter 4 <laughs> and verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Thanks.
want to take this passage and to leave with you three very simple words, which I hope you'll will will stay with you. That, that that I think I hear. Not actually these words don't actually appear in the passage, but they're implicit within it, and uh, it just reminds us of the call upon. Um, our lives. I, I was redefining to one of the groups yesterday the whole issue of evangelism. The word evangelism uh, can be quite an off-putting word, both for people who aren't Christians and for people who are. I define evangelism as doing things to people who don't want it done to them by people who don't want to do it. And uh, <laughs> because it comes with a sort of a, a heaviness of what we have to attack a few people. And it's such a million miles from the concept of the New Testament of what evangelism is about. And Jesus gives us an incredible demonstration of it here. Jesus is just going about his life. And in fact, there's a lovely, a lovely job specification of Jesus given to us in Acts chapter 10. It says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And that's what you find in the New Testament. Jesus is just going about. He's just going about. And most of us can do that. We're quite good at going about. And Jesus went about. And wherever he met people and he met needs, he was willing to reach out to them and to touch their lives. And that takes the pressure off. And I do recognize, by the way, that there are some people here, a percentage of people here, who have as a spiritual gift the gift of evangelism. You cannot help but talk to people. You can't be stopped. You just, it's just a natural thing to do. You don't have to be told. You don't need to hear any lectures about evangelism and mission. You can't keep your mouth closed. It's just, just like that. Uh, Lois and I got, uh, I was going to say conned, but encouraged into going to um, Ciroc dancing a few years ago, <laughs> which was huge fun, actually. Um, I didn't have any sense of timing, but apart from that, it was great fun, by a girl called Rachel. And um, I didn't really realize why she'd invited us. I thought she'd invited us along because she wanted us to learn dancing. But when I got there, I discovered I think there was another motive. She, soon on, uh, we got to this Ciroc club in town called the Glee Club, and um, filled with, with people. And, uh, she said, oh, the girl up there who's giving the instructions, she's been on, I've had her in on Alpha course. And the guy over there who leads that section, he's been on Alpha course too. And the one over there, I'm trying to get him on Alpha course. Nick, if you could have a word with him before the end of the session, that would be great. <laughs> she had worked the floor. And we have people in our church who were converted because she took them along to the glee club to do Sorok. She didn't try. Nobody told her to do it. She just cannot stop herself. She's gone to Australia now. She's, she's working in Australia. So then she'll come back and, and, and work her way around here. But people are like that. Now, most of us aren't. Uh, but, the, but, but the call on us from Acts chapter 1 is that when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll be witnesses unto me. As we live out the Christian life amongst the community, there's something of that Christian witness. Now, this story has a number of people in it. It's got a woman in it uh, that Jesus met by the well. He just bumped into her on this occasion. This woman is, is, in a way, typical of many people in our society today. We know she'd had several husbands. The one she had now was not her own. So the, the temptation is to think that this was a very promiscuous woman. Actually, it's probably not the case. She was a very rejected woman. This woman had been thrown out by five husbands. This is a hurting woman. Naively, she still believed she could find uh, satisfaction in a man. How naive is that? She's going for another one. But she'd been badly hurt along the way. This is a woman who is religiously confused. You only have to listen to the conversation earlier on. She, she's got a whole wealth of understanding of, of religion, but it's all mixed up and confused. This is a woman who, in the deepest part of her soul, feels empty. We know that because when Jesus talks to her and sees right into her heart, he says to her, I'm going to give you something that will satisfy the deepest need of your heart. So here is a hurt woman who is confused religiously, and inside she feels a deep sense of emptiness. Let me suggest to you that there are people in Chipping Camden and Burford and, and Bedford and all these other places around here that I can't remember their names of, who live in nice houses, who are probably quite wealthy, but inside their hearts there is a terrible emptiness. A terrible emptiness. A terrible confusion about what life is all about. And, and predominantly they have basically been hurt and beaten up by relationships. Quite extraordinary. I tell you, some of the people we met on this trip, we've just been on a holiday, with broken relationships, deep pain in their hearts. On the surface, everything's tickety-boo. Everything's wonderful. Everything's okay. How are you doing? I'm fine. Deep inside, they're, they're ripped apart. But they don't have any concept that Christianity has even a smidgen of truth in it that will help them. But they're looking for something. And here's this woman. And, and the second group of people here in this story are the disciples. Where are the disciples? They've gone to have lunch. 
They're hungry. I don't blame them too much. They might not have seen the woman at that point, but when they come back, their conversation is basically, because here's a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman, which should never have happened in proper society. So basically, they, they're surprised he's even talking to her. Surely, Jesus, you would be more interested in lunch. Have you had lunch? We've had lunch. Where's your lunch? Can I just say, without pushing this thing too far, I mean too hard on the disciples, or on ourselves, this is... This is, can be parodied within the church, that we're caught up so much of the time with ourselves. How's church doing? How's my relationships doing? How Am I getting enough food? Am I having good enough worship? Am I getting this? Am I getting that? We talked about it yesterday. Be very careful of that, because in the midst of that, you might miss the heart of what God had for you and me to do. And here's Jesus in the midst of this story. He comes along, and he finds this woman sat by the well, and he sees her. Most Jewish men would never even have seen her. Uh, let me just show you something. Um, the next slide, I just want you to, uh, okay, no, leave that one. I'm going to put a slide up here, which has got a few lines, a, a paragraph on it. I'd like you to read that on either of the screens, and I'm, going to ask you a, and I'm going to ask you a question. How many Fs are there in this paragraph? Okay, just like to read it. Okay, flick it off, could you? Thank you. How many people saw one? Only one. Two? Three. Four? Five. Six. There are six. You like to put it back? You missed the ofs. Oh, yes. <laughs> Don't worry. You're an average of the population. <laughs> it's not your fault. And he read it rather quickly. But because we read it quickly, we saw the big Fs, but we didn't see the Ofs. Some of you did, by the way. Well done. You're sharp, aren't you? Or you've seen it before. <laughs> Do you know why I put that up? Because I think in life it's very, very easy. It's very, very easy. You can move on. to. The, uh, please, can you move it on? I don't want them dis these people distracted by wondering if there are any more. Okay. Um, it's very, very easy in life to miss people. There are the most of the people we come across in our daily living, we have not seen them. We've blanked them out. I'm on a sort of crusade for myself at the moment to try and miss nobody. I was at a Christian conference uh, some months ago, and we'd been there nearly uh, four or five days, and I said to the people in the conference, now we've been here four or five days, we've been served three meals a day, and we've had a number of people, staff, how many of you people have spoken to any member of staff and know their name? Not one person could put their hand up because they were just staff, you see. They were just there to serve them. They're just like the woman at the till in the checkout in, in the supermarket, the man who comes to read the meter, the postman who comes to the door, the person who's sitting next to you on the bus. These are ordinary people you bump into, but we blank them out. And one of the things about Jesus, he's never blanked out anybody. He saw every human being who came across his path. And I would want to encourage you from this moment on to open your eyes. And find the people that God brings across your path, who not the people you know, not necessarily your friends, but the human beings that you bump into, the occasional conversations. You just meet someone at the bus stop. Ask every time you meet another human being, what's this engagement about? The woman at the checkout till is not just another human being working the till to serve you. She's a person. He's a person to be engaged with, possibly. And we as Christians need to begin to open our eyes to see people, human beings, that we meet along the way. And very often, it will be the casual, unexpected encounter and conversation that is more important than the predictable one. Watch out for it. That's an exciting way to go into your day. Let me look again today. Who is flitting across the pathway of my life? Who am I going to bump into today that that encounter may be something incredibly important? Let me suggest the three words now that, that I, I would like to leave you. They're very simple, so every one of us could remember them. The first word is the word now, the second word is the word near, and the third is the word natural. Let me just describe the three of them to you. The first is the word now. Jesus said to the disciples when they turned up, this is what you think. You sow the seed, and three months later, there is a harvest. You say, or four months, you say there's four months to the harvest. In other words, you see the harvest as a future event. I want to tell you, open your eyes. The fields are white unto harvest now. Why? Partly because the sowing and the reaping is happening at the same time. But there is a harvest field to be reaped now. 
Not in 10 years, not in two weeks, but now. And what it seems to me is this. He's saying to us, there are people who are ready now. And this woman was one of them. This was a moment of engagement for this woman, a moment of opportunity now. It was also a now moment for her entire village. He encountered her, she encountered them, and then he encountered them as well. And there are people in our lives for whom the moment is now. It wasn't now yesterday. It will not be now next week. It is now today. Because something's happened in their life. Some adjustment has taken place. Some, something's happened you don't know about that has made them now open. Where they might not have been before and they might not have been that then, they're open. And only God knows those people. And they're around about us in the community. The exciting thing is, yesterday I talked about um, Daniel and I talked about uh, Paul, uh, Peter rather, and Cornelius, if you remember. Interesting, both those occasions. Think about Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, who did God speak to first, Nebuchadnezzar or Daniel? Answer, Nebuchadnezzar. Who did God speak to first, Cornelius or Peter? Answer, Cornelius. What can we conclude from that? Who is God speaking to at the moment, you or the people outside? The people outside. In other words, God is already speaking and has already spoken to most of the people we know and the most of the people we come across. They don't even, may not know it's God, but they have had some encounter with a God who loves them, but they don't quite know what to do with about it. So everybody you meet, you can ask the question, well, how have they already encountered God? What is, what's true about their journey? And by the way, that's why a mission evangelism is much more about listening than speaking. It's about listening to someone's journey and then helping them along the way. But there are now moments for people. There's a now moment to sow and there's a now moment to reap. And the exciting thing is we don't know what those are, but God knows. And he may bump you into people tomorrow for whom it is a now moment. That makes Monday much more exciting, by the way. And because even the people you know may have changed since Friday. And there are going to be new people come across your path for whom it is a now moment. I remember a few years ago going to speak at St. John's Harborn in, in Birmingham. Some of you know this large Anglican charismatic church. And um, I spoke, a woman came up to me afterwards uh, and said, do you remember me? And I said, I oh, know I don't. There's no way I remembered her at all. Let me flip back to when I was 24, 25, when I first came to Birmingham. A friend and I called Colin Day used to visit a, a nightclub in Birmingham called Barbarella's. You may be old enough to remember it. It was where the ICC is now, largest nightclub in the West Midlands. And we used to go there every Tuesday night, and we'd go in, and I can't, it's a long story how we ever got to get in for no, no money at all. We never paid. And we went in just to talk to people on the dance floor about Jesus. We were terribly brash then, and right rude, really, and went up to people and said, what do you think about Jesus Christ? That was our opening comment. And, uh, and we had them, uh, I don't know why we didn't get killed, but we had some, we had some amazing conversations. One of the conversations, we had, there was a girl who was always on the door. Every Tuesday night, same girl, she took the coats at the door. We used to talk to her as well, and she was unbelievably abusive. I, I can remember, we had such great times with her, but she was so rude. And um, anyway, when I got, a few years ago, I went to St. John's Harbour, and this lady comes up to me and said, do you remember me? I said, no, I don't. She said, I was the girl on the desk at Barbarella's. This is a long way back. I said, oh, my and uh, she, I said, how are you come to be here? She said, well, sometime after you, uh, I left Barbarella's, I got another job, and then I was made redundant, couldn't get any work. My boyfriend then walked out on me. My life was at its lowest ebb, and she said, I remembered you two guys. I remember the abuse I gave you, but I remembered something was going on in you. And she said, I thought to myself, maybe they were right. And she got out the yellow pages, and she went through the yellow pages and looked for a church that was near to her. Thank the Lord it was St. John's Harborn. And she went, I went to that church, I sat at the back, week after week after week, and I heard about the love of Jesus, which you had already talked to me about. She said, I gave my heart to Christ, and today I'm following Jesus. Wow, I have to tell you, I cried my eyes out. I hugged her to bits. Because a seed that was sown at that moment, it was the right time to sow it, actually. I didn't know it. And there was a the right time for her to come to faith. There are now moments. I remember uh, when we had a men's thing yesterday, but I was speaking at a men's breakfast two years ago. Uh, somewhere else, I can't remember quite where, in a golf club. And uh, I'd spoken and shared the gospel with people, and we had a bit of a prayer at the end, and we finished the, 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 the um, thing, uh, the meal, you know, all the fat and everything else men have for breakfast, and um, <laughs> abusing their bodies for an hour or two. And then we went, I was on my way out, and I, I went to the lobby to get my coat. And I, it was a little tiny little lobby, and I put my hand up, and I get my coat. Another man put his hand up to get his coat. We sort of wrestled for our coats and laughed at each other. 
And I, I didn't know quite what, what he, and he said, thank you so much for this morning. I said, oh, that's fine. And we were still in this cupboard, so I thought I'd better say something. I said, are you a Christian? And he said, no. Which was a bit surprising. I said, why not? <laughs> and uh, he said, we're still grabbing our coats. And he said, no one's ever asked me. I said, haven't you been at the meeting this morning? He said, yes, but you didn't ask me. I said, but I asked everybody. He said, I know you did, but you didn't ask me. I said, well, do you want to become a Christian? He said, yes. It's just a true story. <laughs> we went from there. We went down into another part of the golf club, and we, I prayed with him, and he came to faith. I have a feeling it was his now moment. And what a coincidence. Almost we met in the cupboard. We could have missed it. It's a moment. I was in um, my, my, I think I said to you yesterday, my, or some of you, my father lives in the Orkney Islands. He uh, couldn't get any further away than that, really. And we got every so often. The last, Lois and I were up not very longer, but the time before, and I was on my way back, and I got into Aberdeen and changed planes, and a guy got onto the plane next to me who was off the oil rigs. He was a young man, tattooed all over, unshaven, looked quite rough and ready. Nice guy, but very different from me, probably. And we looked at each other and sized each other up, and I, I asked him about the oil rigs, and I had an interesting conversation. And he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm in, in Christian ministry and, and the church or something. I can't remember what say quite, something like that. And he said nothing, absolute silence. And I thought, well, that's the end of that. So I got and read my book for the rest of the way down. We're literally coming into Birmingham Airport. The plane, we've been told that it's time to uh, fasten our safety belts. We're coming into the airport, literally like this. And he turns to me and says, can I ask you something? And I said, yes. He said, I'm coming down to see my girlfriend who lives in Coventry. And she rang me two nights ago and she said, I've become a Christian. And then he turned to me and said, what on earth is that about? I'm thinking we've had a whole hour in this plane, my dear man. <laughs> and, and that's what he asked me. What is that about? And I said, I, I'm glad you've asked me that question because you need to understand that what's happened to her is fantastic. It's really good news. It's not what you think. She has not found religion. Her life's been changed by something fantastic. And, and uh, you need to encourage her in what she's discovered and listen to her story. And praise the Lord, I had a copy of Why Jesus in my thing. And I said, if you can possibly skip to the loo before you go through into, uh, into arrivals and have a flick through this and read it before you talk to her about anything, you will understand where she's coming from. I'm so grateful to God for that moment for that young man that I happened to be sitting next to him on that occasion and he had the courage to turn around and ask. Because I think for him it was a now moment. A, a guy in our church told me just before Christmas that he'd had a decorator, he works from home um, some of the time, and he had a decorator come to do one of the bedrooms. And he took the guy a cup of coffee and a guy thanked him. So he went back to his room to finish his work. And he couldn't settle in his work. He said, I felt God was prompting me. I had to go back and talk to this man. I didn't know what about, but I had to talk to him. But he said, I was resting because I knew if I went to talk to him, he's being paid by the hour. <laughs> and um, I wanted to get on with my room, you know. And I don't want to talk. But he said, I couldn't settle to my work. So I went back in and I started a conversation, just any old conversation, really. And he said it was quite extraordinary in the conversation. The man began to open up about his life. And I told him my story and how I'd come to faith and how I'd come to Christ. And he wanted to know more. And he engaged fully with the conversation. And then he said, I went back. I don't know quite what happened to that man. He said, but I have a feeling God was nudging me because there was something important going on in his life. And he needed to know that today. And he didn't preach at him. He just told him his story. And he left it with him for God to do with whatever he wanted to do. And I think God has these moments for us in our lives, the people that he brings us in touch with. There are going to be some now people. They're not all now people. Not everyone's ready, but most people are a now person for, for sowing, but they might not be a now person for reaping. And Jesus said that both the sower and the reaper, both of those are important, and they overlap each other. And some will sow and some will reap, but we need to do both those things. People are ready. Just one other story. I was in... Um, uh, and it is easier when you're in Christian ministry because people ask you what you do for a living. And that usually either kills the conversation or opens it up. It's quite fascinating. But you don't have to do that. You can find opportunities to say, well, that's very interesting. In my situation, I found that too as well. But I found that my faith has helped me. Or Jesus helped me. Let me just tell you my story. And the story is incredibly important. And those people are now. They are ready. And the wonderful thing is you don't know who they are, but God knows who they are. And he knows where you are and he knows where they are. And he's quite capable of bringing you together. And just listen to him. What are you saying to me at this moment? What shall I be saying to this person? I was in Smith some years ago, uh, two, two, couple, two or three years ago in Harborne, and I was waiting for somebody. And you know what happens when you're waiting for somebody? You tend to find something to do. So I picked out some books to read. And uh, I just picked up this book by Graham Thorpe, the cricketer. Some of you will follow cricket. You'll know, you'll have heard of him. A very, very talented cricketer, superb cricketer, but a very uh, distressed man. His, man. his marriage broke up. His children and his wife left him. And there's, he's got a chapter in the book called Salvation. 
And I thought, that's interesting. I wonder what that's about. It's a very short chapter. So I flicked it out while I was waiting for this chap. I started to read it. I bought the book since, by the way. And um, I, um, he said in this story, I was lying in, in this book, I was lying in my bath in my empty house, feeling at the pit, absolutely the bottom of my life. A test cricketer for England, but my marriage and everything else was on the rocks. And he said, for the first time in my life, I cried out to God and said, God, if you're there, you better help me. Now, who would have known that this man, as you watched him playing cricket uh, for England, everything, who would have known that he laid aside in the bath that night and cried out to God, God, you must help me? Who would have known that? And the rest of the story is quite interesting, having read the rest of the book now, that God led him to a, uh, he fell in love with or met another woman who introduced him to her sister, and her sister was a Christian. And he says at the very end of the book, I don't know that he's become a Christian, I don't know, but he said at the end of the book, I want, you to know, I, I want to say this, that faith now is more important to me than cricket. He had a now moment. There was nobody there to meet him, but God arranged it. And there are people all over this place who are having moments of emptiness. But they have assumed that Christianity has nothing to offer them because the moment you mention Jesus, they do not hear the word Jesus, they hear the word church. And their assumption is that church could not possibly help them. What would, why would I be helped by going into a building, sitting on a hard seat, listening to someone speak and singing songs I don't understand? How on earth is that going to help me? It probably isn't actually. Because Jesus is going to help him. That may be a means to finding Jesus, but it, we don't know whether it would be for that person. The second word is the word near. Now is the first word. Have we got the word now? Now is the word. And if you are not having a now moment with somebody, you might be thinking, because of all these people in the church, I wonder who is having a now moment. I was in Newcastle, I must tell you this, I was in Newcastle just quite recently, and I was asked that we had a big sort of prayer evening, and I, I didn't really want to go, because I was quite tired, but I hoiked along for this thing, and they said, would you, would you, would you lead a section of it? So I, we led, I led a whole section on being ready to hear God's voice to share the gospel with people. It was, and, and I was quite tired, but I shared it, and uh, I just encouraged people in that. The very next day, I'm out with a friend of mine, we have the morning off, we say, let's go to lunch, and we're going to go to lunch at Linda's Farm. But we don't make it in the end because we get delayed one thing or another. So we go and find another pub, and that pub is closed. And so he says, oh, okay, let's go. And we go to the Victoria Hotel in uh, wherever. And it's our third choice of lunch place. I think I mentioned this yesterday. And this young man comes in who owns the hotel. He comes over and talks to us. And then in conversation, he comes and sits down. And I don't think in many, many years have I ever met somebody who was so ripe for hearing the gospel. Unbelievable. When he heard what we did, he just wanted to know more and more and more. We didn't, it wasn't even our first choice. We got it, it was our third choice for lunch. But somehow for this man, at this moment, he needed to hear something. Second word, sorry, is the word near. The, the, Jesus is saying, look, you don't have to go very far. This woman was near. He was right, she was right there. The likelihood is God will bring people into the circumference of your life. See, one of the great, I think I said some, of the other, or some group the other day, maybe it was here, that one of the words that's most mistranslated in the New Testament, it's very sad, because so many sermons have been preached on it, and that is in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. Go and make disciples. The, ver the command is make disciples. The verb is not go, it's actually as you go. We're not being told to go somewhere different. We're told to as we are already going. Now, God may send you to darkest Africa or to some place, but the likelihood is it's in the circumference of what you are already doing. He's saying in the midst of that, because in the nearness of people coming into your life, within that orbit, they will be God's, they're the people to make disciples. Don't feel you've got to go somewhere to make disciples. God's bringing disciple-making people into your orbit as you go about your life. So the, the command is, open your eyes to see what you could do with people. And discipling there means starting people on a process of change and education. So it's in even beginning the journey with people, but as they come into the circumference of your life. The Good Samaritan, you know, when he set out to go down from Jerusalem to Jericho, did not wake up in the morning and think, where could I go and find some beaten up people today? Oh, I have a feel, a real urge to find beaten up people. Where would there be any? Oh gosh, I know there will be somebody. There's one, on, I think there might be one on the old Jerusalem road. I don't want to go there today, but I suppose I better because there's probably going to be a beaten up man there. No, it just says he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's what he was doing. That was his only program for the day. He opened up his, his, his Blackberry and there it said, go to Jericho today. So he was on his way. He was just doing the thing he was meant to do. And as he went, a 
And isn't it alarming? Jesus, why did you put this in the story that the two people who turned their back on the, good, the, the man beaten up were religious people? What is he saying about that? <gasps> we better listen, hadn't we? That it may be the religious people like you and I who are most likely to avoid the person in need. We better listen to that. And Jesus, seeing this very ordinary Samaritan, was on his way, and as he saw this beaten up man, he reached out and touched him. He was in the going about. It's in the nearness. The people who come across our path are already in our lives. <coughs> I, I, when you remember in, in Philippians, Paul writes to the church there, and they're obviously quite distressed because he's in prison. And he, he writes them in his early chapters of Philippians, telling them not to worry because God opened up a new way for the gospel for him. He's in prison, in a prison cell. And I imagine probably prior to that, they've been praying for the, the, the Roman Empire, and they've been praying for the, the, the elite crack troops of the Roman Empire. Paul ends up in prison, and we know this, that they are circulated through his prison, two at a time, on a rotational basis. Every one of the Praetorian Guard who was in that place would have heard the gospel through Paul. What an opportunity. So his restriction created for him a greater opportunity than he had had. And sometimes God brings us into those restricted places. Uh, Lois and I some years ago went to um, Argentina for a conference, and we had the privilege of going to a place called Olmos Prison. Three and a half thousand inmates, some of the worst criminals in, in Argentina. We went there, and the reason we had gone there was because of what had happened in the prison. A pastor in Buenos Aires had committed a crime and was put into Olmos Prison. He repented of his crime, said to God he was sorry and all the rest of it, and then said to God, now I've really repented of my crime, whatever it was, I can go now, please. Could you get me out of this horrible place? And God basically had said no. So he thought to himself, while I'm here, maybe I should do something useful. He began to pray for one or two of the other inmates. And one man came to faith, and then another man. When we went to Olmos prison, three and a half thousand prisoners in the prison, there were estimated to be 1,250 men who had come to Christ. How did it happen? Because one man in his confinement thought, well, I better start reaching out to the people who are near me. These people were very near in the prison. He took that opportunity to begin to pray and ask God to do something in the prison. What a great opportunity there are for those who are near us. Oh, by the way, just an aside here, how many of you are on Facebook? You can own up, it's, okay. it's not a terrible thing to do. <laughs> Quite a few of you. Facebook is the most phenomenal community of opportunity for you. And uh, there's all sorts of material being produced nowadays for people to put up videos and ideas onto Facebook for this whole community of people. I, I'm, Lois is on it. I'm not, actually. I don't really understand it. But I know that it's a fantastic network of people to reach out to. The third word, briefly, is the word natural. If you study the story in the first part of John 4 and follow the, the dialogue that Jesus has with this woman, which is initially about water, it's a very practical thing, I need a drink, I'm thirsty. There's nothing particularly spiritual about that. Could you get me a drink, please? I have nothing. The, the disciples have gone off for lunch, have gone off with our bucket, basically. Because often these guys would travel with a bucket, a collapsible bucket that they could actually put down into the well. They've, dropped, they've gone off for lunch and taken my bucket, I have, I have nothing to draw water. Could you please get me some water? And uh, it's a natural conversation that proceeds along in a very natural way. There's a lot of banter going on if you follow it. But there's a naturalness about it. And it's a really encouragement to us that we don't have to be odd. <laughs> we don't have to be peculiar. I've often, we've often said to folks in our own church, why don't you think about inviting some people who aren't Christians around for a meal? And, and it's very easy, you know, when you, that happens to you, you panic. You think, oh my gosh, what have I got to do? Do should, uh, do we say grace even? No, yeah, if we say grace, we can get a little bit of the gospel in. We could, Lord, thank you for this food, and thank you for saving us, and redeeming us, and washing us by your blood, and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and what, what, what music should we have on in the background? Do you think Graham Kendrick would be a little bit too, mm, or should we, or uh, maybe you too would be all right. What, what should we put on in the background? And should we leave it something a little track by the door as they're going out? And, uh, and should we put back that notice that we got for our wedding and we've thrown a, put aside that says, uh, we, uh, this home belongs to the Lord, and we'll put it back over the... Do, what do we do? Listen, if I was your neighbor coming to dinner, I would, I would wish I wasn't going. I would think I was going into a fly trap. Oh, my gosh. What's going to happen? Listen, we just have to be ourselves, don't we? And in the naturalness of being ourselves, something of what is important to us will spill out at some point. It, it just does. It'll overflow in the naturalness of our lives. I remember when I was a, become a Christian when I was 18... Um, I, I invited a young man, a friend of mine, to a Christian meeting. He was a complete pagan, a, a vehemently pagan, 
But he and I were good mates, so he said he'd come along to his Christian Union meeting. And we got there, and there's a friend of mine on the door called David, lovely, very zealous Christian. And I introduced David to my friend. I said, this is my friend. He's come to the meeting. And David, who's a zealous Christian, looks this guy in the eye, and he says, have you found the Lord? And my friend looked him back and said, no, have you lost him? And... Uh, <laughs> I just thought that was a good answer, really, because um, I thought he rather deserved that. Um, and and it, it would be nice if we could just be ourselves. And what's important to us was spill out. You know, that if, you, if, if, you, if your children get engaged or you have a grandchild or something, um, you, you don't have any difficulty. You don't have to tell a grandmother to show her grandchildren pictures to people. You just do it. I mean, we, are, we do it all the time. You will have noticed I do it on PowerPoint. And uh, we just do it. But what's important to you will we'll spill out at some point. It'll just come out. And, uh, as, uh, and it may be opportunities to pray with people. In the spiritual age, people are very open to prayer. Yes, could you pray with me? Yes, please. Yes, please. I remember a, a good friends of ours who live in North Birmingham told us recently that, that, that he's a businessman and he'd done business with this guy for years but never met him. It was always uh, on the phone or whatever. And this guy rang him up one day and said, I, I, um, I got into conversation and, and uh, he said to, to our friend, uh, Roger, you, I'm sorry, we can't, can't do it. I've got to go into hospital for some tests. And, and as he shared what had happened, he, he started to choke up. It was quite serious. And um, so Roger said to him, can I pray for you? And the man said, please do. And he never met him at all. He, he just prayed for him over the phone. Put the phone down, that was it really. And he said a couple of weeks later, this man rang him up. And said, thank you so much for our conversation the other day. My wife and I were wondering whether we could get together with you and your wife for dinner. Now, they're only business colleagues. They have never met. What's this about? What's, he wanting to, what's this got to do with anything? It's got to do with the fact that some other dimension has entered into the conversation. And I'd like to meet this person who actually believes in prayer. And maybe that's the hope for me in my life. It's now moments for this man who was quite near to him. And Roger actually did something very natural um, in his life. Just to listen to people. Jesus was unbelievably natural. Just acts of kindness are often just good enough, aren't they? I'm saying things you already know, by the way. Just a little reminder uh, to us this morning. Uh, just a last story. We had a, we have a lovely a, a, a lady in our fellowship who, um, who's a bit older than Lois and I are, actually. But many years ago, she found that her neighbor was a, a single-parent mum with two boys, and she used to struggle with her shopping. So she said to Carol, can I do your shopping for you? Carol said, that'd be lovely. And then the next week, she said, I'll do it again. And she did it again and again and again. And eventually, Carol said to her, Maggie, why do you do my shopping? She said, because you're a single-parent mum and you live next door and you struggle. No, 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 Maggie, it's not good enough. Why do you do my shopping? We've got plenty of other neighbors. Why do you do it? Well, because I see you struggling and I care about you, Carol, and I, I think you need some help. No, Maggie, but why do you do my shopping? Well, I do it, uh, Carol, because I care. And um, uh, God's put a caring heart in me, and he's changed my life, and I want to help other people. She said, that's why you do it. And she said, I want to find out about this God who helps you to care for me. And she came to faith. And why? Because someone does her shopping, for goodness sakes. Someone touched her in the name of Jesus. Someone loved her, got alongside her, without any agenda. But it, what was seen in her was something very special and very precious. What we say, we share our story, we listen to people, we're willing to pray with them maybe, or just be Jesus to them. And it may be you go weeks without any opportunity, but maybe tomorrow will be it for any of us. We've got to be open to that. And that's how the kingdom's going to spread across this whole neighborhood. Ordinary people following Jesus, recognizing that Jesus is out there, wandering the marketplace, wandering the towns, wandering the homes, touching people's lives. The people see in us something very different. Can I just close? This is one. Last, this is the last story. Uh, we did a mission a few years ago in um, Seven Oaks in Kent, and I went to the barbers there, and, the, and I had to do an interview with this barber. And um, he's a lovely man. And came from a, a totally non-Christian background. He'd been a boxer in his youth, and then he he, he got in with the Cray twins in London, and then eventually he'd become a barber, a hairdresser. And he has this hairdressing salon in Otford in Kent. His name is Stan the Barber. It's not really his name, but his name is Stan, but I don't know what his surname is. I called him Stan the Barber. And I interviewed him, and his story was this. He, some years ago, he, um, he contracted cancer. Well, the doctor told him he thought he had cancer. And he was totally shocked by this. He was so shocked that he said, in his heart, he said, oh, God, you've got to help me. He went to bed one night, and he woke up in the middle of the night, and Jesus was sitting on the end of his bed. I said, how do you know it was Jesus? He said, I just know it was Jesus. 
And he just, I can't remember the story, I can't remember what Jesus said to him, but he said, he sat there and he just looked at me with such love in his eyes. I woke up the next morning, he said, and I, I, I was stunned by it, didn't know what to do. I went to the barber's shop and I started to cut somebody's hair. And as I was cutting somebody's hair, a woman walked in who was the local Methodist minister with her son. And she was dragging him in because he didn't want his hair cut. And she brought him in and sat down. He carried cutting hair. And then he said, I turned around to look at her because she'd come into my shop. And she looked at me. And he said, she looked at me and it was the same look. And I knew Jesus was real and he was in her. And he said, so I, I talked to her and she took me on an alpha course and he came to faith. And the interview went on a long time because every time he mentioned Jesus, he cried. We had to keep off Jesus. We'd never finish this interview. And in his, in his salon, if you go there today, you'll see around the wall are p boxing pictures of people beating each other up. And in between is a text about the love of God. And uh, <laughs> it's a very interesting thing. But when he said that, I wondered if that woman, when she woke up in the morning, the, the, the Methodist minister, do you think she looked in the mirror and thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to the barber's I better make sure I've got my holy glow on. <laughs> How do I look? Do I look like Jesus today? Am I, oh. I bet she just got up in a normal day, filled with the Holy Spirit, dragged her wretched little son <laughs> along down a haircut that he didn't want, thinking, get in here and get your haircut. And she's sitting there fed up with everything else. And she looks at this man with the eyes of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? When you and I go out on Monday morning, filled with the Holy Spirit, we are going to be looking at people, and strangely enough, they may well see Jesus in you and me, with the eyes of Jesus. How exciting is that? That's why to be a follower of Jesus, I think, is, is a very exciting proposition between now and the time when he takes us to heaven. Uh, and hope we may feel we don't want to go because we've still got stuff to do, because it's going to be so good. Not because of ourselves, but because out in this area are thousands of people, like the woman at the well, who appear on the surface to be fine, but inside they are paddling like a duck under the water. Something is desperate. And isn't it wonderful that God's able to look down and say, I've got a community of people. That's why Mondays for God is the best day of the week. He tolerates Sundays. He's heard the sermons. He knows most of the course. doesn't understand them any more than we do. And... Uh, <laughs> But he loves that, he loves the heart of worship and everything else. But God is aching for Monday. I'm sure he is, don't you think so? Because out in the business world, out in the working place, out in whatever, there are hurting people. And God's saying, oh, I'll get through Sunday. And uh, Monday morning, we go out everywhere. Just with the love of Jesus. Not to preach at people, not to get at them, not to bludgeon them, not to stick tracks up their noses. But just to be there knowing the Spirit of Jesus is in you and where you take him wherever you go. And look, open your eyes to see people who you may, some of you, you've known for years, sat next to them at the desk for years and years and years, and yet something may have clicked and changed in their life in the last 24 hours. You don't know. But God will give you the opportunity somewhere along the line to say something, to touch somebody, to reach out to them, to show something of the love of God. Or maybe it's somebody you've never seen you never noticed before. They served you coffee in a restaurant and you stopped for a moment and engaged them in a conversation and in that conversation something happened that you could bring something of the love of God to them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this lovely, lovely story of this woman and the engagement with Jesus. But it was a now moment for her because Jesus came near and he acted naturally. And then this woman went into the village and the entire village came out to hear and to meet Jesus because of this conversation. He must, whether Jesus even knew the, the hugeness of what he was doing with that woman and the fact that she was someone who would influence others, I don't know. But Lord, we thank you for the story and we thank you for the Spirit of God that's in us. Thank you for the Word of God you've given to us to change us by the Spirit. And thank you for the power of the Spirit living in us. And we want to go out into our Monday tomorrow, whether that's in an office, whether it's in a factory, whether it's in a college, whether it's in a home, whether it's in the street, whether it's in a, a restaurant, wherever it is. We want to go out tomorrow having that great sense that we are followers of Jesus out into his world. We are not surviving until next Sunday because Jesus is working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday by his Spirit in the lives of men and women who are crying out for help. 
And so we pray that in these next, even this very week, some of us here would have the joy of touching another human being with the love of God. Let it be so, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Can we stand together? I want to, is Jamie around? He's here. He's always there when you want him. Um, we're going to sing a song. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe Jamie doesn't know yet, but um, we'll sing a song of worship. And I'm going to ask if we could do something. We did this yesterday. Um, just, as, uh, just as a sense of saying to God this morning, Lord, I'm open for business. I'm, I'm available to you. If you're looking for somebody, I feel very inadequate. You know how bad I am at talking to people and how shy I am. And you know... Um, I'm not sure my life is really up to it yet, but I, I just want you to know, Lord, that I am available to you. If you could use an ass to speak to Balaam, you could probably use me to speak to somebody. And here I am, Lord, and um, I, I, just want, I just want in some way to touch the life of another person and be available to you. And as uh, he plays and maybe leading a song, it's just... Do what you would want to do to say to God, I'm available. And I always think it's good to do something physical. You might, even, you might just want to lift your hands up. You might want to sit down. You might want to kneel. You might want to, there's not much room at the front. You might want to come to the front. I don't know. Do something that in your heart you're saying to God, if you're looking for volunteers, I'm here. Heaven knows, Lord, what that's going to mean, but I'm here because I think you're already out there in the community and you'd quite like someone to come and bring some explanation and I'll do my best. So as we sing, as we listen to music, let's just respond in some way to God at the end of this, this weekend, end of this time together um, of just expressing availability. That's really all it is. Here I am, Lord, send me. We have been saved is the Savior of the world. So we lift up a shout for his fame and renown. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, Jesus, Savior of the
pray you'd enable us both together individually and corporately as bodies of churches to be available to you for this community. Thank you that this is not new. Thank you for what you've been doing in previous years and months. Many are here today because other people touch their lives. Thank you, Lord. We're part of a journey. We're part of a progression of things that are going on. We pray that we'll continue into the days ahead. We shall see far more than we have ever imagined or thought. Not for the sake of ourselves, not for the sake of the church, but for the sake of men and women for whom you died and for whom you long, for whom you have paid everything so that they can enter the inheritance that you have prepared for them. We will not rest, Lord, until all has been done that can be done. Until your banquet is full. Thank you that we have you with us, ahead of us, around us, behind us. It is of you. All we are doing, Lord, is being the human arms and legs and mouth in something that the Spirit is already at work doing. And so we rest in that. We, we relax into it and look forward to what you have to do through us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we're going to be invaded.